Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Well, howdy there. Welcome to another episode of Tej Talks. Today, we're talking SA. You know what? I took a big break from SA because everybody be doing it. And I thought, you know what? I'm getting bored of this. But then now I'm back. So service accommodation is one of those things. It just won't go away. Um, nonetheless, there's a reason for that. So me and Catherine talk about podcasting. She has her own podcast. We talk about leveraging things. We talk about SA and how her business has grown from zero to a lot pretty quickly. But actually, what's pretty cool about this one is we have another competition giveaway. So Catherine and the company Ideal Collective, who you may also recognize Chris Taylor from, who was on the podcast, oh, think about two months ago, maybe. Check that episode out as well. Are conducting a mastermind day on September the 3rd, so about a month away. And they have two free spaces. In order to enter the competition, you have to follow me on Instagram, Ted.talks, and also her, which is at Catherine A N N T. And once you've done that, you need to leave a review and follow Ted Talks on Facebook. And once you've done that, pop an email over to admin at ideal-collective.com. And the first two people will win the day on the mastermind. So pretty good chance to learn from people. I think this is the third or fourth mastermind Tej Talks is giving away. Look at this free content for you. Oh, and also generally like, please leave a review. Thank you. Catherine, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Now, uh, for the people who don't know your story, um, and I think some of them will from Facebook and from your social media, tell us, what was Catherine doing before property? Okay. So I like to think that really Catherine was a busy fool, not really doing what she really wanted to do. Um, And that's because I got pretty much stuck in the trap of trading time for money and getting a little bit too comfortable and really not knowing that there was another way. So I was working specifically just before the point I got into property, I was working at Essex County Council. Um, I, at the point I got into property, I was actually probably working as a contracts manager in children's services. So I was a team of two people looking after the contracts of children's residential and fostering placements and essentially making sure they were delivering on their contracts. And there was two of us for 1,600 placements. So that was... Yeah, indeed. That was a little stressful and um, also kind of was part of that push that led me down to becoming my own boss. Uh, I had also um, around this time I was looking at other jobs. So I was also uh, every every few weekends or so I would teach hen parties, uh, dances as part of like kind of their Hindu weekends. Uh, just because I'm a trained dance teacher by profession, I used to teach at stage schools and uh, I've done a lot of different dance stuff myself. And I think probably about this time as well, just, you know, because I didn't have enough on my plate. I also uh, became a duty manager at a local theatre as well, just in like evenings and weekends. Because again, I just thought that if I work more hours, I get more income. But 
yeah, you necessarily have some more income, but you don't have a better quality of life. Mm, okay. And then, you know, how did you discover property and discover it's something that you could do? Yeah, so I think I had always, well, I'd always had this idea that I wanted to be my own boss. From a very young age, I remember sitting in the playgrounds, at one of the benches, coming up with an idea for a school magazine. I then, when I was teaching um, dance and doing, I was doing it like a Duke of Edinburgh bronze level, and I was helping my dance teacher with some of her younger dance groups and I was thinking I could kind of do this better um not in a like rude way to her it was just like I I just saw more potential and so I'd always had this idea of like what business would I go into what would I do property didn't really come up just because I didn't really know anyone in property and the idea of property came up because I saw an advert in the local newspaper by the way I never read the local newspaper so it was like one of these serendipitous moments, um, I had just moved into my first flat with my uh, then boyfriend, who, uh, plot spoiler, became my husband uh, a few years later. Um, but essentially, you know, we'd just become financially entwined at that point. Um, I had gone off to live, you know, separately from my my family home. And I read this, yeah, it's just this advert, and it was called Women in Wealth. And it didn't really even say property, I don't think, but it just sounded really interesting. It was a free two hour seminar at a hotel that was literally around the corner from where I worked. And on the particular day they were doing it was my work from home day. And I usually at this point, if you could see me do inverted commas of work from home day, because not necessarily a lot of work got done on those work from home days. Um, it was a day to catch up with all the air washing and chores, etc. And um, I contacted my mum because she was another woman that I knew wanted maybe something different she'd been a nurse for a long time and I said are you working this day she said no and we went along to it and it happened to be about property and it just really opened my eyes to the possibility um I uh was one of those people that got my credit card out at the end of that two-hour seminar and and invested in my future I hadn't gone to university so for me it kind of was my my now paying for my education um and uh, yeah, kind of the rest is history. So that was 2011. Wow. Okay, so quite a while ago. And then, so, you know, you, you went to this kind of one-day pre-sales event, we can call it. You purchased the course, invested in yourself. And then when you came out of that, because this is something that is it's quite difficult when you're starting. And actually, I, I think it's difficult generally is like, how did you know then what strategy you wanted to follow? I did not have a clue. So... Um, again, like I said, this whole idea of investing in property was quite a new aspect to me. I didn't know anyone who was in it. And I think that's, um, I think it's changing now through social media and I wasn't as proactive on social media back in 2011 as I am now. Um, but finding more people who, you know, who do it and tapping into podcasts like this, it's easier to maybe understand a few more strategies before you even go into it. I didn't even understand the word strategy or that there were property strategies, so on the first course that I invested in was like three days. It was all women as the kind of the name would suggest. And they took us through different property strategies. So HMO, uh, we looked at like flips, going to auctions, that sort of stuff. And some really, when I talk about property strategies, some are really about the different ways you acquire property and others are the different way you then manage the property going onwards. And I think some are kind of crossed over and amalgamated and they're called property strategies, but actually one is just the way you might acquire it. And the others are then how you 
manage it going forward or whether you don't manage it and you just sell it on or whether you then let it or how you then let it. Um, so I had no idea. My my first thought was like, okay, we could just get our first single let done. It would bring some money in. And then my next thought was like, maybe we'll go for HMOs just because it sounds like good chunky money and a way to replace my income, which was again, like probably the biggest motivator for me at that point was to get out of my job. Mm, okay. So when you started off, you were working full time in your job, but then also buying properties like sort of part-time after work so um this was then um so we signed up 2011 the first course was like beginning of 2012 and we took about five courses because like I said I didn't really know what strategy I wanted to do so we took like creative finance distressed properties I think we took HMO we took like um working with like the council we looked at auctions and sort of by the end of that training, our heads were a little bit ex- exploding with all this information. But then we were like, we've got to go and put this into practice. And this was me and my mum at the time. And something I've learned along the way and something I share a lot now myself is about knowing who you should get into business with and who you shouldn't. And uh, and finding the right business partner to work with and the right team to build around you. And uh, it took a while and it probably should have happened sooner. But Essentially, let's just say, again, plot spoiler, myself and my mother do not work together anymore. Uh, We're similar and yeah, um, so that didn't work. But for our first property, we um, decided, okay, what's the easiest way to get into this? We didn't have a pot of cash behind us. We don't have like family money around us. To be fair, anytime we asked any family who we thought might have some money, they just, they were like, well, you don't do property. You're a nurse and you work for council so again it just didn't have that credibility and I as much as we got taught about going to use other people's money I was still very nervous at that point about kind of going to people I didn't know and with no kind of reputation or anything under my belt so it's like how can we do this without necessarily borrowing anyone else's money and the fact that we don't have any money well my mom owns a property if we uh, let that out and the money we make from it can help her rent somewhere else because she was kind of ready by that point to move out of what was the family home that we've been in for like 20 plus years by that point and actually go to somewhere else so she's like well I can rent for a bit if this pays my rent and then we'll be slightly better off and and then we can put into practice and then we start having building that CV because again for very first time property investors like well how do you start your CV how do you kind of get into this so that's what we did. In September 2012, we let her property out um, to a contractor that was working with the local council. Um, that's where we kind of probably made our first mistake. And um, yeah, three years into a two-year contract, no, sorry, two years into a three-year contract, we finally got out of that contract with help of the council, just because the contractor wasn't really keeping to their end of the bargain. Um, and then that's where the strategy that I do now got born from. Interesting. So that first house that you then purchased with that money. So you're living in Essex, or should I say Essex? So yeah. Hopefully you can't tell <laughs> I can't, I cannot at all. Um where did you then buy the house? Because Essex is I mean it's similar to where I live in London, it's quite expensive, I think. Yeah, so so this was a home that my mum had owned since like nineteen eighty nine. It's a masonette, so a three it's essentially like a flat, but it's got its own front door and back door, own, uh, front garden, back garden, and uh, three bedrooms. And so we did that as a single let. It uh, rented out at 
um, £800 per calendar month. We needed a little bit of money to do it up. And my mum ended up cashing in her uh, endowment policy because it was never going to pay off the mortgage. So she was like, well, it's not, it hasn't grown in the last few years. I think a lot of people's endowments were never going to actually pay off their properties. And so she cashed it. So I think we ended up with about £8,000 to do up the property to get it ready to let because uh, it needed a bit of love and TLC. So we used that. I think we paid some of the course fees off and things like that for some of that. And yeah, got that let. And then how we bought our very first property that we did, which funny enough, I talked about HMOs and I thought chunky cash, that's actually what we went into. And funnily enough, it all stemmed from this very first property uh, that my mum, we then realized she was on the wrong mortgage to be letting it out so it's all things that you're, you're kind of told but you forget to kind of do well I say she didn't forget she went and asked her mortgage provider could we let it and they turned around about five months later after we'd already been letting it and said no no she couldn't on this product and we were like oh my god like we're going to get done for mortgage fraud uh-oh like, all of these things that we were just like oh we've done it completely wrong but actually massive silver lining in fact that when we looked at products to um put it onto so that we would be um all all legit and it'd be fine letting it out we found that we could refinance pull out some cash my mum used that to give to myself and my uh, fiance then at the time oh no he hadn't he hadn't proposed to me then we were still boyfriend girlfriend uh, we bought our very first home together now, funny enough, a few months later, someone then said, oh, you shouldn't have invested that in your own home. You should have invested it in some more investment properties. But, you know, we did what we did. And in about, I think, a year and a half, we made about £50,000 on that home we bought. We decided to, we thought we were going to refinance. I had actually decided to give up my job in this time because voluntary redundancy got offered. And I went, hell, yes, I'm taking it. Because I just because I wanted out and not that we were making loads of money by this point, but enough that we could cover ourselves. Um, my husband had a, a fairly good job in the city and we just went, let's go for, let's just, okay, if we can't refinance now because I don't technically have the income I used to have when we first got the mortgage, we will sell it, we will go and rent and we will try and make more than we can from investing it, then we're going to pay out on rental. And that's exactly what we did. So it's something I do share with a lot of people because people are like, should I sell or refinance my own my own personal home to start my property investment journey? And I'm like, well, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just sharing that I did. And that was right for me and Stephen at the time because we didn't have dependents. We knew it wasn't going to be our forever home. And we just saw that 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 kind of, well, we'd made 50,000, but obviously with the deposit we'd already put into it, I think we got about just over, what else we have got out of it? Um, a bit over 60,000, yeah, about 65,000 we got out of it in the end. And we put that into a HMO and to a flip deal that we did with a joint venture partner. Mm, okay. And then before we talk about that, you mentioned that this sort of mistake and also this first, I guess, sort of deal you had mm. led to the kind of birth of your strategy, which you do now. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, like I said, we were two years into this three-year deal. My, I still owned this very first property, um, our first single let, with my mum. And we, she was just ready to sell because she'd had, we just had enough of what had happened with the contractors and just the tenants they put in there. They weren't allowed to have pets. There was just constantly pets in there and like dogs in this first floor masonette, which just doesn't work with neighbours all around. And um, yeah, we were just getting treated really badly as 
the landlords and, and the owners of the property. So the council stepped in, they got us our property back and got us out of the contract a year early. And my mom was just ready to sell. And then someone mentioned uh, a strategy called service accommodation. And I was like, I don't think there's many in Chelmsford. That's where I live. And that's where this property is. And so I just started doing a bit of research. And I just thought, what's the worst case scenario? And so I talked it through someone who was uh, doing very well with service accommodation at the time. And I'm always a great believer in learning from people of doing it. And they were like, well, give it three months. The worst case scenario is you don't get rent in for three months. And then if you want to sell it, you were going to sell it anyway and and just see what happens. So I took a bit of a bold decision that I was going to buy it off my mum or me and my now husband were going to buy it off my mum. And so that we have all kind of business ties then severed by that point. And we would turn it into a service accommodation. Now, this is where I wouldn't say necessarily mistake number two, but probably one of my bigger mistakes has happened. So we'll call this mistake number two happened. <laughs> probably three by this point. Oh, yeah, because we've got mortgage fraud, letting it to the contract with the council. There we go. Um, I did say I'd bear all on this podcast, didn't I? Tish? OK. Um, and hopefully it just means that others can learn from this as well. So uh, we um, essentially brought in people that, uh, I just went in odd job type men rather than bringing in one big contractor who can do all the work across the property. So I brought in like a separate electrician. I brought in a guy that was recommended through like a friend of a friend to do the painting. Uh, and it just nothing was getting done quickly. It took a lot of time. Their their quote that they quoted me ended up going like three or four times over budget. And suddenly I was like five grand down into this refurb to get ready to be a service accommodation uh, property. And I still had a whole load of mess around me and still loads more that I thought I need to spend. I was thinking, oh my God, I've got a budget of 10,000 here. I'm looking at the mess in front of me and I probably still need to spend another 10,000. And I was like, that's money I don't have. So um, I kind of just stopped everything sent everyone away, had a few um, tough conversations, shall we say. And it really kind of taught me some that resilience that I had in myself that I didn't know was there. Um, and I then literally went, okay, who can I find? And again, I reached out to someone on online. Yeah, it was, again, a guy I knew in property who's doing very well with kind of rent to rent and he did service accommodation as well. And I said, you know, we're looking for contractors to use to um, help us with the ongoing kind of maintenance and contract stuff that would need to happen around the SA. Because I don't want to be going there in the middle of the night fixing ballers because that's not my profession. So I needed a contact there. And he gave me one. The guy actually owns a, a national business, but he's based in Essex and he came and met me. So the owner of this national business came and met me. He's the most down to earth guy you'll ever meet. And he's been uh, brilliant for our business. But he then had contacts for like bigger contractor firms and he would then contract out and he would guarantee the work that was being done I was like perfect great this is what I need doing and I literally went around and showed me everything that needs to be done and I was like please don't be 10 grand please don't be 10 grand please don't be 10 grand and it came back at five grand which is exactly what I had left and I was like how is this even possible like I don't know who was looking after me at that point in time like who was looking over me but I I definitely had some sort of guardian agent looking after me at that point and I was just like thank you thank thank whoever's uh sending that positive vibe to me and I was just like right let, let's get this done so I think probably about three months longer than it should have taken we were then ready to go we put it onto Airbnb uh, bookings.com took a little bit longer 
we got a booking I think within the first like literally I put it on 24 hours and we had a booking I then had another booking for six weeks for six people which was essentially what we could take so that was then full capacity for six weeks over Christmas because I was thinking oh my goodness so we've now launched it it was around October time coming into November I think it's the worst time winter's kind of just known as a bit of a slower period for service accommodation and for that three months I think we were probably 95% booked to capacity so it was like wow I wish we'd done this sooner and how do we get more I mean that's one thing I guess I personally always uh, think or worry about with SA is like is this area going to work? Now, for anyone who doesn't know Chelmsford, it's, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's fairly close to London. It has lots of, I know it has lots of solicitors there. There's lots of business there. Um, and it's a fairly large-ish sort of town. So just by saying that, uh, you know, I'm thinking, okay, maybe there's some business contractors, but then I'm thinking no one's going on holiday to Essex unless it's like Southend-on-Sea. Um I'm just trying to think like what how I guess how did you know and also secondly what kind of people stay in that location for you yeah so really great question I mean in 2012 we became a city and we uh, should have been a city a long time ago because we have a university and a cathedral Uh, we have a lot of weddings that take place and actually film crews come because we have a big um, estate there the V festival used to happen every summer um, although it's now gone funnily enough and just too many festivals but we definitely knew there were time periods within the kind of calendar of Chelmsford where people would come. We have a big pantomime that comes every uh, Christmas and New Year. And they were actually uh, the technicians who stayed for six, the t- six week booking that we had were technicians for the panto. Um, so I didn't necessarily have invi- in mind my perfect guest. Um, I just thought, let's give this a go. That was all that was in my head for three months. And we'll see who comes. So in that time, we had people who were coming in. I think we had fairly good nightlife in Chelmsford. Some of it's kind of changed along the way now uh, over the last few years that we've had it there. Um, We have, yeah, we do have a lot of um, uh, big insurance companies, finance companies uh, in Chelmsford. We have obviously great links to London. And it has been a mix. We've had a lot of building work, a lot of development go on. So we've had a lot of contractors stay who've been working on that. We've had the director of Aldi because we've had lots of new Aldis come into Chelmsford as well. We've had people uh, starting up work at the new Wagamamas that's there. We have had people stay just coming in for weddings for a week at a time. We have had uh, people literally coming over from New Zealand and they've used us like three times because they have family in the area. So and we also had quite a few inquiries for people who were doing up their properties and wanted to go rent somewhere that was already set up for them to move into because they were having a, you know, a large scale refurb on their house, which I didn't think of. And the other thing we had get a lot of is insurance claims. So, again, people where they've had to move out of their house want to move into, again, not a hotel room. They want the full apartment. They want it all set up down to the, you know, the kitchen spoon and the toilet roll. And it's all there for them. And they don't have to, you know, bring all their furniture with them. And so we get a lot of that as well. So the biggest worry for me at one stage was then suddenly a Premier Inn came literally up the road near to the train station. We're about 10 minutes from it. And I was thinking, oh, my God, what have we done? We've just set up an apartment. Premier Inn are now here. We're not going to be able to compete with them on a nightly rate at all. Like, you know, they've got a massive economies of scale there. But what we can compete with them on is monthly rates 
and six people like and two people or more so as soon as you have two people or more in the apartment and this first apartment was set up for six people we beat them hands down and so that's where it changes and actually if anything now hindsight tells me if premier in are coming to your town or city you've probably got the model right because they're going to have done way 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 more research than you could ever do just because they've got a huge machine behind them so um that actually fooled me it's like when costa comes to an area you know you're in a good good area right because costa on their research and football and stuff so yeah for us it was a kind of trial and see and then after that we kind of took our time building and taking on more apartments in the area um knowing that we just kept on having to turn away customers and so we would only ever take on a new apartment if we got to the point where we were like okay we're now turning away pretty much double the business that we could take um and it will come and so we now have i want to say five in chumpsford um and yeah we've wow. just there i think you know it's it, as soon as you mentioned um the the hotel down the road i just thought what you said afterwards which is that's a great sign because like you said they've done tons more research than you ever could so you know for anyone listening don't be worried by that because there's always something you can compete on whether it's quality whether it's quantity whether it's price whatever it is you're always going to beat someone at something because you know they can't be everything and you can't be everything so don't even don't even worry about it right um and that's interesting the different kinds of people that you mentioned stay there i've heard a lot about the insurance claims and i wonder if there's a strategy in contacting insurance companies and saying can we be your preferred accommodator if if they have any part in that because you could have people all year round every single day booked way in advance so i guess there's things like that which you know when people say sa i think a lot of people think oh tourists or or contractors and i always say hold on maybe this is the recruiter in me why not speak to local businesses why not you know cold call them and say I've got a, I've got an amazing house here, you know, I'm sure, you know, can we work something out? Because do you want to be doing cleaning that often? Do you want to be doing changeovers that often? Probably not, right? Um, Make it as easy as possible. So you had five in Chelmsford. Now the others after this one, did you buy them or are they rent to essays? So we are next, uh, well, basically all the next one we required were rent to essays, just again for speed. And it I wish it was something that was taught to me at the very beginning. Um, I don't think rent to rent was as known or just the concept of rent to SA. I tried to do rent to HMA model. Um, I tried it for so long in our hometown and I just realized the stock wasn't there uh, in terms of just the layouts of properties and things. And then rent to SA just literally flew. And just because we have so many apartments, we just have um, you know lots of landlords there who want to get that kind of guaranteed rent. And now our strategy has changed again uh, just because of the amount of units we're dealing with now. Uh, and so we um, source rent to SA investments for investors. They get a great return on their investment. The landlord gets their guaranteed income and then we manage everything for them. Uh, I think our usual rate is 15% plus VAT. And it was so lovely. I met a guy the other day and he said, oh, I really want what you do. And I was like, well, we do a few things. Like, what do you want? He's like, I want you to source me a property. I want you to furnish it. And then I want you to manage it. And the fact that you do pretty much all of that, then managed it all for 15% plus VAT. He was like, shake my hand. Thank you so much. I was like, okay, perfect. So, so what, what made you, because I think some people start the other way around. They source and package first to get the money to then do other stuff. What made you make the decision to, so you got, you're getting essays, you're making, you know, profit, which we'll get to in a bit from each unit. Why do you want to source instead of just acquiring them for yourselves and making loads of money for the same sort of thing 
So for us, it was about like, what are we best at? Um, and what and how can we keep the kind of growth there? I think if we kept going down the rent to SA model, we would and, and just keep reinvesting our profits. We never would have realized the profits. Does that make sense? So we would just kept reinvesting all the time. So we um, funnily enough, my uh, my stepsister's husband's one of our big investors, my um, my husband's ex boss from where he used to work is one of our investors uh one of our operations manager i used to be our property manager he's now our operations manager his housemate is one of our investors and so it's like all these people that you then just see what you're doing and they're like well that sounds a really great return i've got 5k here or 10k here and it's funny enough how a lot of people are like i've only got 10k and then suddenly 30k comes out of the woodwork once proven the model to them and um yeah that's just been really nice that actually we can have multiple people win along the way so we can give people a great return on their money that would just be sat in the bank otherwise we make our percentage on our management fee and we've become really good at the systems the operations behind it uh, having a great team and we've noticed that again when you're starting off and you just have a few apartments it can actually be quite hard to build that traction. So say with like the insurance companies or, or the companies that are kind of in between, say the, the, the booking agencies and that, that work with the biggest um, insurance companies and things like that. And we're like, we couldn't get in when we just had one or two apartments. We have like 50 plus now across the country. And so we are like, we they are the go-to people in Chelmsford, in Colchester, across Essex pretty much. Uh, for our essays and so it means that we're going to get first refusal on a lot of stuff uh, and funnily enough we then realized how much we were giving as commissions and percentages to all these booking platforms and to these agencies and so we actually ended up starting up our own to then help other smaller essay operators uh, across the country and to help our own brand of course and um yeah so we started that up uh six months or so now and that's going really well because kind of like you said, while we're, we're contacting all these businesses anyway to tell them about our apartments, well, how about we share that with with more people? So our model is much about how many people can we help win across this uh, this process and what can we concentrate on that we're really good at? Yeah. OK, that makes total sense. Now, let's talk about the figures on SA because I think a lot of courses, a lot of um, what you hear in the ether of the property world is you know rent essay is great you don't need to read the the head lease whatever everything can be an essay um you know you're gonna make a grand a month oh no you might have to replace a shower gel once a month but it's great it's really easy but you know everyone who comes on this show and obviously chris taylor who i know you know as well and yeah everyone on this show has basically said rubbish it is very very difficult especially at the start so I guess, well, I have two questions, but let's start firstly with, let's talk about the numbers in a second, but let's talk about the the doing of SA. Now, when you're, you know, if if someone's new to SA, so they haven't got your systems, experience, knowledge, contacts, whatever, which is, you know, going to be potentially a lot of people listening. Tell us how difficult and challenging SA can (laughs) be, especially at the start. Well, um, I'll just tell you the irony of all this. So I think when Chris Taylor... Uh, when you've spoken with him, um, my husband Stephen was mentoring him and his business partner, who's also Stephen. Uh, we've now actually joined up and we're all business partners now. And I'm sitting in one of uh, Chris and Stephen's um, uh, essays in Birmingham right now as we record this. So um, I love the kind of full circle moment of all that. Um, but yes, so when we started essay, 
as I said, it was all me. My husband was still in his day job. I it was all essentially down to me. So I was setting up everything. I was getting the beds ready. I was making sure we had enough linen. I was making sure we had enough towels. I was making sure we had all those consumables and toilet rolls, all that stuff. I was liaising with all the guest messages and all the guest messages who then don't actually turn up or don't actually contact you back and tell you why they didn't book with you. Um, I was trying to make contact with all the booking engines. I was doing all this without a channel manager at the beginning, because again, we would, we kind of found our way through this process um, a lot. And we made quite a few probably mistakes uh, because of that. But equally, we've done it. We've done it from the ground up. We've built it from the ground up. We've realized what we need through just getting it done, if that makes sense. So um, I wouldn't say we've done everything perfectly from the beginning. I think we now know exactly what we need. And like I say, we have got the systems and people in place. But yes, it is actually, it's good income when it is just you because you're not having to pay, you know, a massive team behind you pay for all the systems and that, 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 that operate it. Um, it was just me on a phone, but I was very busy. Um, I had to deal with guest issues in the middle of the night. I had to have a telephone on and I just couldn't do that now, by the way, being a mum of two under two as well. Now I just, that physically wouldn't be possible. So I was in a very different place when I started. It was great in terms of the difference in income I saw from this very first property. So I had a great comparable because it was a single let beforehand and we made 200 pounds net cash flow from it per month as a single let. And that's obviously if nothing went wrong that month. Um, but as a SA, um, we were getting minimum a thousand pound net cash flow per month. So it did change drastically, but also my time input into it also changed drastically. So I think people just need to be really aware of that and, you know, when you then go to scale or you want more, just think about how much extra time you will have to put into that. So I do think there is something now about, my, well, my husband even says it in, at times himself, you know, and we, we've got a lot leveraged and outsourced, but he's like, if we'd gone back to the beginning, actually, would we have just handed over our money to other people like we have people do with us and invest with us now and just let someone else do all the work? Um, but, you know, we've done the work now. We are where we are and we carry on. But there is something to be said for if you are very time poor, uh, but you have some money sat in the bank, there is something to be said for being a hands-free investor as well. So yeah, yeah. I think you need to weigh up all the options and what's right for you. Absolutely. And then onto the figures of SA, um, mm. I guess it'd be good to, I guess, from your personal experience, how much profit are you making a month from your essays? And actually, before that, how much are they, I guess, turning over? And then how much are your costs and how much is the profit? Because I think it's good for people to know that the costs can be quite high in SA. Yeah, so this is probably where you should have got my husband, Stephen, on the uh, podcast as well. Definitely the biggest man behind it. He comes from a, uh, well, he's a corporate management accountant by profession. So um, I do leave a lot of the figures to him now. And I have to say my bookkeeping at the very beginning of the business probably wasn't as good as it should have been. Um, so I do say, like, invest in that and, you know, make sure you have your systems behind it. I think people do um, take out a lot of or forget some of the costs. Um, and so when we've looked at properties, um, especially maybe that some have been sourced or people are trying to source to us, we then run the figures through our deal analyzer and it just doesn't work. Like the numbers are nothing like they're saying. The profit levels are nothing like they're saying. Um, so, it's, you know, making sure all your cleans are costed out. And that's whether you might not have to do one for two weeks because 
the people there are like, no, it's okay. I'll treat it like my own home. And there's a, you know, a Hoover and a, all of the cleaning equipment there. But you have to cost in for the fact that you might have to do a clean every other day, potentially, if you're doing, you know, um, a checkout every couple of days, potentially. So it's all stuff like that, that people just really don't think about. Um, so let me try and I'll try and give you the figures as best I can. But like I said, Tej, it, it, this this field really is my husband's fields now. Um, but the at the end of the day, in terms of uh, percentage of uh, from turnover to profit, we're looking at about 10%. Um, so yeah, it's it's not as high as I think people look at, but as I say, our, our model is very much management now. And so we're not directly getting, you know, we've got to then pay investors in between, uh, the landlords getting guaranteed rent, we take out all the costs and then we, and then, and that's all our team costs as well. And then it's 10% profit. So um, just to give you an idea. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah. But, you're, but you know, you're saying if someone was just a, a one woman, one man band, they could, they could make more profit than that because they, because they don't have any company overheads, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the day-to-day running of the business now, I'm not involved in at all. You know, I started this business, it's my baby and I jump in more as a kind of consultant role, but the day-to-day I'm not involved in. So we have virtual assistants based in the Philippines, do all the online work and kind of cover the, the we, we do about 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. in terms of uh, time period that's covered by the customer service team. We have an out-of-hours team, we have contracting team, we have contractors who go into all the apartments at least once a month to check for any issues like that could be just like replacing batteries in the remotes it could be checking all the lights it could be also preempting any maintenance that needs to happen so we're very pre- proactive whereas before when it was just me and probably when it is just one person you can't be as proactive so you're then very much reactive to stuff happening um and so that can then cause even more downtime so that's one of our big things now is that we minimize any downtime of any of our apartments uh, as much as possible Mm, okay and I believe that you have a podcast as well I do yeah so um you probably now get that I um well someone mentioned the other day does that make me sound lazy I was like maybe just uh, I'm just working a lot smarter than I ever used to be that's why I used to say I was a bit of a busy fool just doing what I didn't like to do so yeah I love the podcast uh it's called Leveraged Lifestyle it's on iTunes Spotify um Stitcher all the good platforms and it's all about, you know, hiring your virtual assistants. Maybe if you haven't got one and you're just being a busy fool yourself, but in your own business now, uh, whether it's you're looking to start a side hustle, I interview lots of entrepreneurs in property and e-commerce in all different backgrounds and how they've leveraged their time, their money, their knowledge and to get to where they are today. And I think a leveraged lifestyle does mean different things to different people. For me, it's very much now being a mum, it's about being there with my family, about having time to have experiences and be there for for my family and my children. Um, but before that, it was very much about travel and all of that. And and again, it will become about travel as they grow up. But yeah, it, I like to bring a little flavour of everything in there, but very much about skill set, mindset to leverage your money, time and knowledge. And um, yeah, it's been it's been a good success, and we've got lots of great interviews uh, lined up as well. So if you want to come check that out, that'd be great. Um, but one of the things, yeah, one of the things I just want to go through because I suddenly realised I, I feel like I've been very vague with the finance stuff. So I want to try and clarify a few things. Um, if that's okay, Tej. Cool. So um, we took well, 
um, our our kind of monthly turnover now we've got to uh, well the interesting thing is the momentum that's built in terms of taking on more units and because obviously each unit we now take on because we've got the team and assistance behind it is then it creates an exponential effect does that make sense so uh we have well the last couple of months we've been taking that now turnover eighty five thousand, which obviously is a big milestone if you then times that by 12 so we've now hit our seven figure business um and that's pretty amazing but i don't think that would have happened if we hadn't of leveraged and that's one of the key reasons i started the podcast because i think other people just are spending too much time still doing the doing in their business and they forget the reason why they started their business um, because I think too many of us as entrepreneurs or business invest, uh, property investors or property business owners, we forget the reason we decided to go into property in the first place. And usually that was more about time and freedom and choice. And if we're stuck doing all the doing in the business rather than working on the business, you'll end up working more hours than you ever did before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I wanted to speak about that. So, you know, all about leveraged lifestyle, which is... You know, I think what most of us are aiming for, really, yes, we, some of us love property investment, some of us don't. But I think, you know, when I ask people why you're doing it, it's freedom, which, again, means different things to different people. But freedom as a word is quite strong. So from, I guess, the guests on your podcast and from your experience in your business, what kind of things could and should people be outsourcing in a property business? Um, And it may be some things that we would never think to outsource. Great. So I think a lot of the things that people think to out think to outsource are like repetitive tasks, are lower level admin tasks. And I think people struggle to give up the stuff maybe they're known for. So for example, my husband is known for and his qualification is in finance. But we have a virtual assistant who is a fully qualified accountant. She's based in the Philippines. So her hourly rate to us is three pounds per hour so if my husband starts doing all the tasks that he's fairly good at finance wise which is quite a lot in an SA business and in property it's obviously uh, you know you need to be aware of all the finances going on you could easily just go and be like well I need to know every single thing there well he gets a report at the end of each month he goes through it and that's a much better use of his time than reconciling all the accounts checking all the expenses, paying all invoices, checking all purchase orders, that's then outsourced and done for us. So it's things that even you are very good at, but actually are still stopping you doing those highest value tasks, which might be going to find a deal, which might be going to meet an investor, which might actually be, which probably where I I focus a lot of my time now, is actually being visible in the right communities. So I have my podcast, I'm a speaker, I'm I'm out there a lot on social media now, which I never used to be as much, that's for sure. And I now have people come and want to work with us because they see me and therefore they build a trust and a relationship with me. And I think that is probably the biggest thing you should be doing in your business and then leverage everything else. So even your social media, I have a social media VA who repurposes my content from my podcast and then puts it out in different formats across different platforms but then I go in to engage afterwards so it is me then talking to people back and forth and making sure I'm engaging with people as well Mm, okay well that makes sense and you know when it comes to the the SA business so like let's say 
so this is a personal one. So I have a story, not yeah. a story, I have a house in Swansea that I'm buying at the moment. So in, in South Wales. So it's quite far yeah. from, you know, it's not far from life. It is in a town. It's not the Valleys. Now, how, okay, so it's in a location that is 10 minutes from the DVLA, maybe the headquarters. I don't know. It's They've got a big office there. It's 10 minutes. And this is all walking time from like the retail center, the kind of, not industrial park, business park, and there, there is an industrial park. It's probably, I don't know, a mile or two from the sea. Now, it's a standard Welsh terrace, nothing special inside yet. How on earth do I know with certainty that it's worth me making it look even better and buying the furniture for it to be an essay? Like, how do I just know that it it's going to work? So, as I said we took a big punt in terms of the property because we already owned it. And if you're kind of going through the process anyway of owning it, there, there's something to be said, like when you furnish it anyway, you show the property off to its best ability. So whether you're then going to just, if you, if your if your exit, additional exit plan, rather than being SA is to say single let it or sell it, then when you stage it to be a SA, you're instantly adding some value and people can see how the property will work. So then they can either buy it as part of their package to move in when they're letting it or buy it as part of the package when you sell it. So actually furnishing it isn't necessarily a massive gamble. Uh, we actually work with um, uh, leasing agencies, uh, leasing, finance leasing agencies as well. And we have our own furniture package as well. So, um, you know, we can kind of do that in-house. But again, we've built that over time. So you can do it fairly cheaply and inexpensively, but actually can add value no matter whether you go on to SA. I would say, just like I did, test it, test the market, see who, if anyone else is in your area. I think for our area at the time, there were two other essays in the area that were kind of linked with um, a small boutique hotel, but they had apartments in the town centre. And that told me I wasn't the very first person to do it, which usually is a good indication. When we actually did, when we were the first person in an area, We've come out, we came out of there less than six months later because we realized that's why we're the only person there and the first person there. Um, so that should give you a good indication. Like, is there anyone else at all? And then I would essentially start ringing some of the companies. Like, if you're doing this property up, you've got a bit of time. Ring up local companies, ring up the DVLA, see if anyone does need any of that. Ring up the big executive companies. I mean, you're very welcome to come and use our company, our RSA booking specialist at Book My Stay. We get that insight from companies obviously calling us now and saying, I need somewhere in Swansea, for example. Uh, and so we'll get some of that insight as well. So, yeah, that's what I would do. Ring some of these companies, ring the like bigger essay companies, check on booking.com, check Airbnb. And I know this isn't quite allowed, but I definitely did it at the beginning. And this is like five years ago now. So, you know, maybe mm, do what I say, not do what I do <laughs> or do what I did. Um, but I did kind of create a ghost, or not a ghost, but a property on Airbnb. Um, it was the property I was about to let. And um, I just see if we could get any query. And I put it on contact only rather than instant book and just saw if I got any queries come through. And again, that just helped me see what kind of inquiry level I was going to get. And if I got no one for like a month or two before I was due to let it anyway, then it would kind of tell me it's probably not going to work. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking because I know with with HMOs you can put a spare room advert up and it's it's a bit easier. I know Airbnb can sometimes verify and and stuff, but 
you know, not not saying that we should all do that, but it's it's uh, you know, it's one I'll consider for sure. Um, and, and, you, and you own the property as well, so it's not like yeah. you're doing a property you don't own. So yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. There we go. Cool. <laughs> and um, what is um, a resource or platform app, bit of technology that you just can't live without? Oh my goodness, I I feel like I share this everywhere, and I feel like everyone should know about this now. But still, there's people who are like, oh my goodness, when you've told me about this, it's changed my life, and that is Evernote and it just revolutionizes the fact that I used to have bits of paper sat absolutely everywhere I just had no coordination to the notes I took I had notepads everywhere now everything is on my Evernote it's on my phone it's on my uh, laptop and so it's always with me and for me it's just invaluable when I'm meeting people I don't really carry business cards anymore kind of on purpose because whenever I gave them out and then I was like I haven't heard from that person and then I hadn't taken their details myself. And I was like, rather than just put it into my contacts, I put it into Evernote and then I can put some extra information around there, like where I met them, what do we talk about? And then I've got a follow-up process and I can share that with members of my team. So Evernote, Evernote, Evernote. Yep. Great app. I, you know, I downloaded it and then I deleted it yesterday because I never actually opened it. But, it, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds really bad now because you said it was amazing, but... I know how good it is and I'm going to re-download it when I go on some viewings next week because it's going to be so useful yeah. for the viewing. So that's, that's it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, but and it's, it's across all platforms and it's saved and it's like an all in one. Yeah, it, it is just really, really good. Um, yeah. Now, before we get to the quick fire round, what mm. are your thoughts on on the SA business? There's obviously, you know, the 90 day rubbish that happened in London. There's always you know, potentially some sort of change or legislation or whatever, you got, you mm. know, mortgages opening up for SA. Do you think it's here to stay? Do you think it's a stepping stone? Give me give me your thoughts however you want to angle it. So I think it is something that's here to stay. I mean hotels have been around for how long, you know, it used to be an inn back in the day or a B and B or whatever it used to be. I think quality SA owners will be here to stay. I think the people with one or two kind of like the same people who have one or two buy-to-lets, they'll probably give up maybe eventually or hand it over to a management company and won't really be involved. And and that's cool. And I think that's one of the things that some of the bigger SA companies or, you know, have got a good reputation. By the way, there's some not so good ones around there. So do do your due diligence. Um, I like to think we've had a good reputation behind us now. Lots of people have used our service. And I think they'll be here to stay and we want to come up with a brand, a brand that's recognized, a, a service that's recognized. We want to continue to innovate what we do and how we do it, making sure we're providing the best service. So I think those people will stay around and the people who are continually adding value and seeing how they can improve their service. I think the people who just, like you say, were sold on the it's a thousand pounds for every property, um, you know, you can do it yourself sort of thing they're soon going to get a bit disillusioned with it and maybe they will go by the wayside. Um, but yeah, I think it's his state. Yes, some regulation may come in eventually. Maybe the hotels will push for it. The hotels are kind of looking at their own kind of SA models. But again, I kind of think they're going to stick to what they know best. And I think SA is still very different to hotels. And from that point of view, part of me feels like hotels are going to stick to what they're good at. And SA providers, if they're good, will continue to stick to what they're good at. And they're going to make sure that they continue to be compliant. So 
you know, uh, making sure they're they're with the property redress scheme, making sure they're um, just got all the right insurances in place and things like that, making sure they've got the right mortgage in place, making sure that the header lease is what it says. Now, interestingly, actually, uh, again, I'll share with you um, something here. Uh, we worked with a developer. They knew what we were doing from the start. We took on 10 of their properties and then they had the lease drawn up with a solicitor and forgot to put a clause in around what we were doing with it. So what ended up happening, we had 10 of their units and then we noticed on Airbnb because we're always checking our competition in the area that a couple of more units within the property were opened up. And of course, we had a good relationship with the developer and we said, you know, what's going on here? You know, there shouldn't be anyone else operating. And they were like, yeah, we're actually getting complaints from the people who bought the properties that other properties are being used on Airbnb. And we knew they were our properties because we vet all of our guests like thoroughly. We have such a good operation behind that. And so complaints were then coming to us because obviously we had more in the property and they knew who we were, but they didn't know the other people. And so essentially they had to then enforce that part of the, um, the lease. And so it was crazy. We dealt from them, with them from the very beginning, um, but it still came by to, uh, back to bite us. But, you know, we had a great clause in the contract. It meant if they stopped the contract, then they owed us six months rent. Um, so all our costs were recovered um, and we've you know, uh, found new properties for the investors and things. So, you know, we're big enough to deal with that. If that had happened at the very beginning, one, I don't think we would have taken on 10. But some people at the very beginning might have taken on 10 and thought they were doing it all right. But and it could have been completely unstuck. So they wouldn't have had a good contract in place. Um, but, you know, we were big enough by this point, we, you know, uh, got down and dirty before and we just knew how to deal with it all. And interestingly, the developer now knows what they did wrong and they still want to work with us when they uh, move on to different projects. So that's a good sign as well. Wow. No, that's, that's definitely a great sign. And I think, you know, the bit in your contract about them owing you money is is something that is needed and is like a commercial protection of your your work. Right. So things that you know people listening you know don't necessarily feel like oh you know feel bad because you're putting this in a contract with the landlord end of the day you're both in business you're both making money you're both helping each other so yeah don't be afraid to put things in like that because i'm all for that um so we've now reached a quick fire round so this is short snappy answers i normally normally like the first thing i ask is the biggest three mistakes made but <laughs> I, I I feel like we've kind of gone through them. Yeah. So maybe let's switch it to what are the three most important things that you've outsourced that have let you have freedom and grow quicker? Okay, so in terms of outsourcing, I'm not sure I can necessarily do three because it kind of comes under one big banner is hiring virtual assistants was our biggest thing. So we hired just before Stephen gave, um, he was in his notice period. He had to give a three month notice period when we got him out of his job. And uh, at that point we hired two virtual assistants based in the Philippines. They were just a massive, well, one, they gave us a massive kick up the bum um, just to get ourselves sorted because we had to give them work as well. So getting our systems and our stuff in order um, to make sure that they could do what they needed to do. Um, so that's been a massive learning in terms of outsourcing. Um, uh, the VAs, yeah, just massive and just such great value for money, especially when you're starting out. Um, we also outsourced and found, so interestingly, some of our best hires have been people who've come and found us. So again, when you're outsourcing, it's about making yourself known, sharing what you need within your company, and then 
people then come and find you. So again, we've outsourced by growing our team, uh, our physical team, Essex as well. Um, so again, uh, Ashley and Max are two of our uh, managers in our business. They uh, essentially knew us already, or Ashley's aunt found us weirdly uh, through our website. So again, just making sure it's out there, what you do and why you do it and kind of your vision and your values, because that will really help you in outsourcing to get people bought into your vision uh, when you're finding your team. And yeah, again, when you're outsourcing, I suppose the biggest lesson or biggest piece of advice is like, again, don't hire into chaos. Uh, it's actually, a, I have to quote my husband on that. So it's like hiring into chaos will only create more chaos. So it's not saying you have to have everything perfect and every single page of your operations manual done before they come in they can actually help you create your operations manual um so the biggest learning lesson is like yes have information they need as part of their onboarding support which is again kind of what we do uh with our va hiring portal now we help other business owners do that because that's the big thing as well um that actually you go to hire and then you don't know what to do next um so yeah just being kind of ready to do you know, give them logins uh, using LastPass is another piece of software that I highly recommend um, and just be ready for them eventually uh, and not suddenly go, oh, I need to hire, hire, and then it's more chaos. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Good advice. And then what are your top three tips for people who are new in property? Oh, top three tips. So number one, or this this is how I did it. And like I said, not everything went perfect as you kind of heard throughout the uh, the podcast, but um, I think things could have gone a lot worse if I hadn't have been learning for people who had already been there and done it. And I think that's a huge thing. If you're actually tapping into this podcast is great because you're starting to learn from lots of different people, maybe learning about lots of different strategies. And I think that's really good. Um, so that would be my first bit is like go and learn from people who've been there and done it uh, and still doing it ideally. Um, second piece is yeah kind of find a strategy and for me there's an element of you know don't don't quit too soon but also know when to quit so for me the whole rent to HMO just didn't work for our town the way I then found that out was then learning from someone else who was doing rent to HMO in an, a bigger city and they had, I think, a thousand people on their registered HMO list or a thousand properties, should I say, on the registered HMO list. And I had 48. So, again, it gave me that perspective. So, again, it's getting the perspective to know when to quit um, and then kind of, or sorry, when to keep going and when to quit. Uh, and the third piece is, I think, like, for, well, again, I hope this helps, but. I've learned a lot about myself as I've gone through property and as we've come against challenges and they're not, the challenges aren't just going to go away. They're just going to get bigger. So for example, the 10 properties suddenly like the lease going and all that. And when we were smaller, like that wouldn't have even been possible as a challenge to come against because we wouldn't have taken on 10 in one go, but you're always going to have these little challenges along the way, like the, the contractors who don't do quite what they said they were going to do at the price they said they were going to do it. But you get over each one. And if you can get over each hill, you'll you'll just grow as a person and your business will grow as a result. So as you get bigger, you're just going to get bigger challenges. But if you can keep rising above each one, you're going to have a fantastic business and just grow and develop as a person. Mm, okay, I like it. And then lastly, what are your top three goals for the future? These can be personal, career, family, fitness, anything. 
Oh, so um, personal, I'll, I'll try and do one of each maybe. So uh, personally right now, um, I've had essentially two children back to back. So getting my fitness and health all back to one piece is definitely top on my list um, for the next few months. Um, so I, um, uh, some people might know from my social media, but I'm vegan as well. So very much just looking at my the whole holistic um, health piece and fitness piece is very important to me. Um, but yeah, kind of changing my body has changed a lot uh, thanks to children. Um, you know, I'll embrace it, but equally, um, I want to get back to where I was before, uh, health and fitness wise. Um, business wise, my goodness, we have got so many goals on the horizon. I was on stage um, as a testimonial at a property conference called 10X and uh, very much it told me that we've still been thinking too small and as I say we've broken seven figures within the SA management company so now it's about taking our furniture company our uh, national SA booking company all to seven figures and we're likely going to do that by the end of the year so that's kind of the next thing and oh third one actually it's a bigger piece for me as well now so we didn't necessarily talk about like obviously this is very much property based but the bigger picture for me now, and I never could have done this had I not got into property, so I have a lot to thank property for, and um, just learning about business and all of that, is the fact that my time, I get to be kind of the master of my time now, apart from my kids and my husband, of course, but, you know, other than that, and the big goal for me is a bigger picture, so everything that kind of defines what I do, why I do it, is because I want a planet here for my the future generations so my children and their children and I think we're not doing as good as we could do by the planet that we're on and we've only got one and so my biggest goal and the kind of mantra I'm spouting now is we want a planet that thrives not just survives and so I'm looking at everything I can do through business to help achieve that goal I'm uh, launching actually a second podcast all around veganism and sustainability and so that's a massive goal for me right now is to how I can spread that message and empower more people to just do things on a daily basis that are going to help this planet rather than, um, you know, if you've been watching any of David Attenborough's stuff recently, uh, we could all be doing better. And I don't think we've got very long to make those big changes that need to be made. I agree with you. We treat the planet like crap, to be honest, and we can play when it, it treats us badly. <laughs> um, so awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'll put all your contact details in the show notes. But if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way they can do it? So um, best way, contact me through social channels. So Instagram is Catherine and T. So that's Catherine with a C and without an E and T at the end. Uh, that's the same on Instagram. Uh, on Facebook and LinkedIn, it's Catherine Turner Speaker. You'll find me. And um, you did say, would you like a little offer for your listeners, Tej? Oh yes, you reminded me. Thank you very much. What what are you offering? <laughs> <laughs> so um, we have. It is usually only for clients that work with us through Ideal Collective. So again, the website's going. Check out what we do and everything that we do is um, idle-collective.com. Um, but uh, I've recently opened up, um, for various reasons, a, a mastermind day with not just myself, but uh, my four, well, three other business partnerships, I say, so the four business partners as part of Idle Collective. Uh, we have got a date coming up on the 3rd of September. And if you want to uh, be within a chance of getting hold of that, uh, do get in touch with us at admin at 
idol-collective.com uh, and let us know why we should accept you on Mastermind Day. How many people should we open this up to, Tej? What do we think? <clears throat> um, I reckon like two people. Mm. Okay, so first come, first serve. Two people who listen to the podcast as it goes live and uh, contact us at admin at idol-collective.com uh, and let us know why you think you would enjoy getting a mastermind session with someone who's created uh, multiple six-figure businesses, a seven-figure essay management company, and someone who's had made some lots of mistakes in property, but also lots of great, uh, great mistakes, good mistakes, had success, uh, and had some good successes as well along the way. So um, yeah, come and let us know. And uh, first two who get involved, um, you'll get a place on the mastermind day on the 3rd of September. Boom. Also, you have to be following me and Catherine on link on Instagram. Uh, and like also, it, yes. yes, you also have to give the Tej Talks a follow on Facebook and leave a review. If you haven't done those, you can't enter. Um, so, yes, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is a big giveaway and I'm excited to see who wins this. Yeah, exactly. OK, so that'll be the thing. Send your proof to admin at Idol Dash Collective. But it'll all be in the show notes when it tells you what they need to do. Absolutely. Great. Thank you. (laughs) You're very welcome, Tej. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.